So as you heard, next week is an ordination uh, which has a sense of decorum to it. Uh, there's a sense of significance to it. I know some of you are kind of wondering why we're doing it, if they've been a part of us for so long, and that'll get answered next week. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, it is also the, the Sunday we've chosen as our CBWC Sunday. And for those wondering what CBWC stands for, we are part of a broader body of Baptist churches known as the Canadian Baptists of Western Canada. Uh, and so next Sunday, our regional minister, Larry Schramm, will be here with us uh, sharing in the ordination service. And so because of kind of the significance of it, I uh, might wear a jacket. Uh, and so, but there is cake. Uh, no, I'm, I want to encourage you to come and join us next Sunday because it is a significant day as well. Uh, and you don't want to miss out from that. Uh, while I take a sip of water, why don't you turn to the person next to you and ask them, what is the one thing they need right now? What's the one thing you need right now? So other than Jesus, other than Jesus, does anybody want to shout out what somebody told them was the one thing they need? Any, any, any takers? Anybody want to embarrass the person? Anybody say, you know, I just need to win the lottery? You know, I just, I just need some sleep? You know, whatever the case might be. What is the one thing you need right now? You know, I, I wanted to show a, a video clip uh, from the 1991 movie City Slickers. You know, I know it's 30 years old. Maybe some of you remember watching that with Billy Crystal. Um, and I kind of had this memory of the scene, uh, but I didn't remember that much bad language in it until watching it again this week. Uh, and so I was kind of like, I don't know if I can show that in church. Um, but, but there's the scene. For those who don't know the movie or perhaps have forgotten the movie 30 years ago, uh, City Slickers tells the story of a New York City Manhattan yuppie played by Billy Crystal. Uh, and his name is Mitch, and, and he's kind of going through this midlife crisis. Uh, you know, he's lost his smile and his spark, and he's just kind of in this rut. Uh, and he needs to, to kind of break free from that. And like, you know, obviously so many kind of people in that place, they decide they're going to go do something completely wacky. Uh, and so Mitch decides he's going to go and herd cattle at this, like, farm ranch. You know, so the city yuppie is going to go out to the farmlands and go, I mean, he's never ridden a horse before, but he's going to go and herd cattle. And one of the farmhands, played by Jack Palance, uh, is a guy, his name is Curly in the movie. Uh, and so there's the scene where Curly and Mitch are ride, riding their horses, uh, and Mitch kind of has, I'm sorry, Curly has this little cigarette just hanging out his mouth in his cowboy hat, and he's imparting wisdom to Mitch, and he's chatting away, and, and eventually kind of he realizes Mitch is all over the map, and Curly kind of stops him and says, you know what? There's only one thing needed. You only need one thing. And Mitch is like, well, what's that one thing? And of course, Curly kind of doesn't answer that question. And he just leaves it hanging in the air that you only need one thing. There's that sense of go and find your one thing and live it. Now, I tend to agree with Curly. I think there really is just one thing needed. 
And I hope as you kind of engage with that question, what's the one thing I need right now? I, I hope that will stick with you through the day and even into this coming week. What is the one thing I need? You know, that's a question that's been asked for, uh, forever, really. It's one of those higher order questions. We ask it all the time. What is the one thing I need? And people come up with an answer and then they chase after that answer. And maybe the one thing I need is I just need a secure income or I need to just earn more. And so they pursue a career. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, but they throw themselves into that. Or maybe the one thing I need is love and affection and, and they pursue that. And it's, it's quite interesting that often as we pursue that one thing, we discover how hollow and, and empty it really is. But it's not just in life. You know, in, in his 2015 book, First Thing First, uh, author Stephen Covey and speaks about business life. And he asks this penetrating question. He asks, what is the one activity that you know if you did superbly well and consistently would have significant positive results in your life? He's asking that question. What is the one thing that if you did significantly and consistently would have positive results in your life? But then he goes on to ask a follow-up question to that. And he says, if you knew that would make a difference, uh, why are you not doing it now? So if, if you know there's one thing that if you did it, it would make a significant difference, why are you not doing it now? And this morning, I, I kind of want to borrow some of that question and, and look at them as they pertain to my walk with Jesus Christ, as they pertain to our relationships with the Lord. What is that one thing we need to do? And if we knew that one thing would make a difference, why are we not doing it? This morning, we're going to look at a familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know we're in Luke chapter 10, and today we finish off Luke chapter 10. Uh, we've done this kind of mini four-week series on called The Good News in a World of Fake News, and just looking at the good news of Jesus Christ and how we're invited into this journey to go and share that good news. And it begins in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sends out the disciples and he sends them out to go and proclaim the good news, to explain that the kingdom of God is at hand, that forgiveness is, is now available, that life in Christ is possible. And as he sends the disciples out and as he sends the 72 out, so they go and, and they see God at work and they see the Holy Spirit do incredible things through them. So they come back and they rejoice and they're like, hey, Jesus, you know, even the demons submit to us and, and, and we get to see cool things. And Jesus goes, don't, don't celebrate that. Yeah, sure, that's part of it, but don't celebrate that. Celebrate that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that your name is written in heaven. That's what we celebrate. And to prevent us from getting proud and arrogant in the midst of that celebration, Jesus tells this incredible parable, the, the Good Samaritan. And it's the reminder that one of the so-called outsiders teaches us how to serve and love. And we're supposed to do the same. We're supposed to serve and love regardless and so as we learn from that, so Jesus concludes, or, or Luke, I should say, concludes Luke chapter 10 with this well-known passage of Scripture. And we'll have it up on the screen if you've got your Bibles or on your phone in front of you. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. 
As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You know, this is a very simple and straightforward story. I really don't need to spend a lot of time trying to dive into the underlying Greek words and try and explain what they mean. It's really not necessary to understand the key or the main idea of this passage of Scripture. But I do think it's, it's important to share a few words of caution before we try and understand, before we apply this passage. And my word of caution is, I don't think we should be trying to take sides. And what I mean by that is, we, we often do this in this passage. We come into it with our, our own tendencies and our own views, and we sort of look at Mary and Martha, and we wonder if Martha is the villain and Mary the hero. And I don't think we should do that. Because this passage of Scripture shows us that both Martha and Mary love the Lord Jesus Christ. And both of them are doing what they do because of their love for Jesus. So, so it's not a case of one is good and one is bad and one is doing the right thing and one is doing the wrong thing. No, no. We need to see that they're both serving. Uh, they're both trying to love Jesus. In fact, Jesus never condemns Martha in this passage. She doesn't rebuke, she, he doesn't rebuke Martha for what's going on. So the, the service isn't the issue here. And so when we kind of realize that that's not at play, it's not a good and bad and villain versus hero, when we understand that, it becomes easy to understand and identify what the one thing is that is required in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus makes it very clear. He makes it crystal clear in verse 42. One thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen that good thing. And that won't be taken away from her. So what exactly is it that Mary chose? What's the one thing she chose? She chose to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him. Now, just a, a quick aside, because I, I feel like we need to remind ourselves of this. When, when someone sat at the feet of a teacher within this context, within this day, it identified them as a disciple of that teacher. For somebody to come up and to sit at the feet, they were saying, I want to learn from this teacher. I am this teacher's disciple. It's very easy to listen from afar, and we see that sometimes with the crowds around Jesus. Huge crowds would gather, but they would be, it's very easy for people to stand at the back. I, you know, I, I don't want to joke about people sitting in the back row. I, I totally get that. But you know, those who sit up front, they're, they're like, I'm, I'm here to listen. 
which makes me wonder why the front rows are generally pretty empty and the back rows are full, but be that as it may. So Mary sitting at Jesus' feet in a culture of that day is identifying as a disciple. And Jesus doesn't chase her away. In fact, Jesus commends her. Jesus acknowledges Mary as a disciple. Jesus acknowledges woman in his team. Jesus gives woman uh, respect. He validates them. He doesn't shun them. And people sometimes come and ask us as part of the Canadian Baptists of Western Canada, as a church that ordains women, and they say, well, why do you ordain women when Paul says, I don't permit a woman to teach? She must be silent. And I go, because Jesus allowed women to sit at his feet, and Jesus sent them out. And so as an aside, Jesus gives Mary that recognition. And Jesus says, only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen it. So what is that one thing? If you're taking notes this morning, that one thing necessary for our relationship with Jesus is to listen and respond to his words. To listen to and respond to the words of Jesus. Now, I'm pretty sure most of you, if you've been in church for a number of years, if you would say, yes, I, I believe in Jesus, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm pretty sure most of you are going to agree with that, at least in theory. In fact, if you're taking notes, you wrote that down, and you probably went, yes, absolutely, that's the one thing needed. But you know what? If I know myself, and if I know people, and certainly in years of pastoral ministry, this is probably one of those areas that most of us struggle with the most. To consistently listen and learn from Jesus. To hear and do the word of God. And so when I talk about sitting at the feet of Jesus, I know that now we cannot literally sit at someone's feet. But Jesus has left his word to us. It's been recorded. We have the very words of God in our holy scripture. And, and we're still invited to, as it were, sit at the feet of Jesus as we read his word. But we don't simply listen. We do I mean, we're probably one of the fewest generations in all history who have access to the Word of God beyond what many of our ancestors could even comprehend. I mean, the fact that I can pull out my phone and read the Bible in whatever translation I want and read it in whatever language I want, the fact that on my phone I can access Bible study tools and I can, I can dive into the Greek and the Hebrew and have others help me unpack that. I, I, we have unprecedented access to the Word of God. You and I can sit at Jesus' feet. Not surprisingly, Research shows that it's the doing that we struggle with. You know, there was a study done by Lifeway Research into those who consistently show as disciples of Jesus. And this study has eight different attributes. You know what the number one attribute was for those who are growing in their walk with Christ? It was engaging with Scripture which is another way of saying sitting at the feet of Jesus, to listen to the words of God. 
Now this morning, and I, I know I've said this from time to time, I have no desire to try and lay a guilt trip on you. I have no desire to make you feel guilty because I'm pretty sure as I talk about engaging with the Word of God, sitting at the feet of Jesus, I know some of us are already feeling guilty because maybe you're sitting going, oh, I, I, I just don't do that enough. I wish I did that more. And so this morning, I don't want to lay a guilt trip on you. What I would like to do is get intensely practical in how we might be able to engage with the Word of God a little more. And all I'm going to ask from you today is to prayerfully ask God, Lord, what is one of these things? Which is the one that I need to implement? And then maybe tell someone. Tell a family member, tell a spouse, tell a friend to say, this is what I want to commit to over the next week or two as I try and sit at the feet of Jesus, as I listen to the word of God. And as I listen to the word of God, how to then go and respond to it. So if you are taking notes this morning, I've got a couple of thoughts in how to make the word of God that one thing in my life. And the first thing I would have for you, the first suggestion is make it a delight, not a duty. Make it a delight, not a duty. I think that's the problem. So many of us approach the word of God as though it was a duty. I mean, can you imagine if we did that with our family? Can you imagine a mother saying, well, I feed and hug my children because of duty? We would think that absurd. No, mothers do that because they love their children. Uh, young lovers will sit together for hours. They do that because they delight in one another. They don't do that out of duty. Uh, can you imagine if I came home with a gift for Cindy and said, it was my duty to buy you this gift? She would throw it at me because that would be her duty in response. No, we delight. And so when we, when we read this passage, we see in Martha's response, there is a sense of duty. In a culture where hospitality was important, where it was kind of widely practiced, everyone wanted to make sure everything was right for the meal. And so in her love, she's serving out of duty. She's focused on the task. And this is why she gets upset with her sister who is just sitting. She's kind of going, hey, hey, we have a duty to do here. And that's why she comes in and, and almost gets frustrated. And, and I love the words, Jesus, don't you care? You know, it's almost that accusation because she's going, hey, there's duty here. You know the duty. You know that Mary is supposed to be helping me. Tell her to come and help. And Jesus turns it around and says, not that that is not important, but right now there's delight. There's affection. Mary's doing out of delight. And so she's, she's sitting at Jesus' feet because she delights in the word of God. She delights in Jesus' word, sorry. And so when I encourage you to read for the Bible, uh, read the Bible and to engage with the word on a regular basis, I'm not saying so that you do it out of duty. Don't create little checklists so that you can go, okay, tick, I've done my duty today. No. Read with delight. Read because you're hearing the very words of God. And if it doesn't feel like a delight, 
then pray that God will create that sense of delight. Don't read because of duty. Don't sit at Jesus' feet because of duty. Do it out of delight. But not only do it out of delight, the second thought I have, or the second part of making, engaging with God's word, the one thing, the second thing is have a plan. Have a plan when it comes to reading the word of God. Don't, don't just approach it. I mean, Paul says all scripture is profitable for us. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17, all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So if all scripture is useful for our life, don't just kind of skim through it. Have a plan and read according to that plan. Now, we're all different. We all come to Scripture in different seasons of our life with different things that capture our imagination, different priorities. And so I can't tell you, hey, just read according to this plan. There are plenty of plans out there. Every now and then when I read Scripture, I might read it chronologically for a year. At other times, I might literally go from front to back. And that's really difficult when you hit some of those Old Testament passages. But, but that's part of the plan. At other times, I might read a little bit from the Old Testament and the New Testament. At other times, I dwell in the Psalms and I pray the Psalms. But the important thing is to have a plan. If you don't have a plan to approach Scripture, then go into you version and, and grab one of their plans. Don't just randomly pick it up and wonder why you're not hearing Jesus. Set a plan and read according to that plan. If you get nothing, out, uh, nothing else out of today's message, I hope you get that. Set a plan in reading the Word of God. The third thing is we approach the Word of God. Minimize distractions. That's right out of this passage. We read in, in verse 40 that Martha was distracted with serving. The reason she's not listening and learning from Jesus and finding that one thing is because she's distracted. We live in a world filled with distractions. I am convinced it was the devil himself who invented the cell phone. And the reason I say that is two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Cindy and I were at the CBWC Ministers Conference and Pastors and Spouses Retreat, sorry, up in Banff. Beautiful part of the country. You know, we're in this amazing hotel. We're, we're in this beautiful spot. And we've both got our cell phones and our laptops in our hotel room connected to the Wi-Fi working from the hotel room. Now, I know we shouldn't, but we all do. In fact, Cindy mentioned when we were coming back, she said, you know what, it was probably a better retreat back in the days before cell phones. Because we're so filled with distractions around us. We live in a world that we think is better than it was 100 or 200 years ago, but I'm not so sure about this. And so we have to do like Mary. We have to be intentional about listening to Jesus' feet. And that's why Jesus says Mary has chosen what is better. Because she's turned off those distractions. She's not focusing on them. She's consciously choosing to listen to Jesus. And this might look different for all of us. But we need to start setting that space and that time. 
to remove distractions. Maybe as you read God's word, yes, put your cell phone in a different room. You know, I, I know I've shared this before, but when I worked in the corporate world, there were times when I would literally go and sit in my car in the company's parking garage during our lunch break, and I would read my Bible in the car because it was one of the few places where there were no distractions. And I could engage with the Word of God. We're all easily distracted. You don't even have to have ADD these days. It seems like every one of us is easily distracted. Get rid of distractions if you want to engage with the Word of God. Be intentional with it. And then next, if you want to discover the one thing from the Word of God, listen to the text. Listen to the text. And when I say listen to the word of God, I'm talking about what James says. Remember James, the brother of Jesus? In the letter of James, he says, do not simply read the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Go and do what it says. And so when I talk about listening to the text, it's the same as when you tell a child to do something. You don't care whether they've only heard the words or not. You want them to listen by doing. We need to listen to the word of God. And it might be that as you engage with the word of God, you can't simply pick up the Bible anymore and just read it. Get a notepad, get a piece of paper that you jot down thoughts, engage with the scriptures. Maybe underline or highlight in your Bible, make a note in the margin. Take another page. You know, when I spoke about praying the Psalms, there are many times I don't pray the Psalm word for word as the psalmist has it. I reword the prayer for myself. And I engage with the Word of God. I ask questions of the text. Listen to the text. And then, number five, take the next step. And, and my guess is for many of us, this is where the rubber hits the road. Because when I listen to the text, when I read the word of God, I'm going to come across passages that tell me to be patient. And that means I've got to drive very differently. I'm going to come across passages of the scriptures that tell me to forgive others. Oh, we don't like doing that. You know, in my own ministry, it pains me to say that I know I've hurt people. I don't willingly set out. I don't get up in the morning and think, you know what I'd love to do today? I really want to anger somebody in my church. But we're human. And sometimes I say something without thinking or, or I do something and I don't even fully realize or appreciate and I create offense. And sometimes I do something that I know I've done the wrong thing. I was involved in ministry many years ago with another pastor, and, and, and it just didn't end in the right way at all. There was bitterness, there was anger, there was frustration on my part, and, and I used to just kind of think the worst of this individual. And it was when I was engaging in the Word of God and being reminded that insofar as possible to live at peace with others and to forgive others and to confess your own wrongdoings, I ended up writing an email to this individual. And in that email, I simply apologized for the part I played. And I simply confessed and I simply repented. And he replied back and, 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 and our relationship was restored. And now I pray for that person with joy. 
Why? Because I took the next step, as Scripture called me to do. I spoke about this last week. Some of you might remember. We don't need another Bible study. We need to be a Bible doer. Do what we've learned. Take the next step. For some of us, yes, you know, we might be afraid because I know we, we have that kind of cliched thought that, but if I read the Bible, God's going to tell me to move halfway around the world. And yes, he does. But that's very rare. My brothers and sisters, God's probably going to ask you to just move next door and go speak to somebody. God's going to ask you to reach out and love and serve a community in need. God's going to ask you to sacrifice something, maybe some finances to help somebody in need, and to make a meal for somebody in need, to encourage somebody who's in a difficult place. You're going to find that from the Word of God. And as you listen to that Word of God and as you take the next step, you're going to see God do incredible things. And then finally and lastly, my closing thought As we engage and discover that one thing, to listen and do the word of God, lastly, we do it in community. We do it in community. And this is so crucial. Our ability to listen to the word of God and to do the word of God is encouraged as we engage in community. Uh, Every now and then, somebody might read the word of God and think, oh, I think this is telling me to go and do something just absurd. And so we need brothers and sisters around us that we engage together in. This is why we keep banging that drum of we need to be in life groups. We need to be in small community groups. I'm so thankful that on Tuesday mornings, the pastoral team gathers together and and we discuss and we pray. And every now and then we work through scripture or we work through a book. We work through a resource and in community, we journey to say, what is the saying to us? How do we learn from this? And this is why we encourage people Get into a small community. Get into a life group so that together you can be encouraged to do the word of God and even do it together. I know I've thrown out a whole lot of ideas this morning and it might be kind of difficult for us to go, I can't implement all of that. That's why I go back to what I said at the beginning. Maybe commit to saying, you know what, this week I'm just gonna do this one thing I'm going to pray and and read my Bible and ask God to make it a delight. Or maybe, you know, I've already got that time set aside and I do read the Bible, but I read it haphazardly. So maybe I'm going to commit to developing a plan. Or maybe you might say, well, I read, but my brain goes everywhere and, and I keep thinking about things that need to be done. Grab a notebook and write those down and limit the distractions as you read. For others, it might simply be to commit to say, you know what, this week I'm going to obey one thing I read from Scripture. I'm going to do one thing that Jesus tells me to do. Or maybe you're in that place and you're going, you know what, I'm doing this alone. I'm not doing it in community. That's my commitment. You know, Curly was right. The secret of life is one thing. And I believe that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, that one thing necessary is simply to listen to and respond to the words of Christ. I believe if we did that as a community, oh man, the world hasn't seen what could happen 
when an entire church says, yes, I want to sit at the feet of Jesus and I want to respond. Let's pray together. Jesus, when we read your word, we discover that you simply call us to sit at your feet, to listen to you. You don't call for huge, extravagant displays. It's not that service is unimportant, but we don't start with service. And we don't serve you to earn favor and merit. Jesus, you chose the disciples that they might be with you. You said to those working around you that, no, the important thing is to sit, to listen. And so, God, I pray, would you help each one of us, help us to sit at the feet of Jesus to listen to you. And as we listen, help us not to get distracted by trying to debate, but rather, Jesus, to hear the, the clear call to go and love, to serve, to forgive where forgiveness is needed, to be generous where generosity is needed, to be compassionate where compassion is needed, God, as we respond to your word, we know the world around us would be changed. And so, God, I pray for this community. Help us to journey together in community, to be strengthened by your Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus, so that the world would see you and discover you as you move through us. Come and build your church, we pray. Establish your kingdom here. Jesus, remind us that all we need is you. And all we have is you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.